Welcome to another episode of the Frame Lab podcast. Hey, George. Hi, Gil. Well, this week we've gotten into more trouble. We have written an op-ed in The Guardian, uh, which some of our listeners have probably read by now. Do you want to fill folks in on how this came about? Well, uh, The Guardian asked us to write something on Trump's use of language uh, and its effects. And um, what we noted was that uh, the effects, we, getting the use of language was easy. We, we knew that already. But the effects have to do with the way that the um, language is used by the press and the media. That is, when it's repeated, when Trump's lying and the content of the lies are repeated, then uh, people who hear that uh, start believing the lies if they're repeated often enough and they're heard in the press a lot. So the press turns out to be... Um, the PR firm for Trump, even though their real job is to get the truth out there. Yeah, even reporters are starting to kind of tune into this. David Korn wrote a big piece uh, in Mother Jones about the fact that, hey, maybe us in the media all repeating everything Trump says is giving his narrative the big privilege in this conversation. Rebecca Westervelt at Day Magazine wrote a piece looking a lot at the things you've been writing and saying about the effect of constantly repeating false narratives and messages. Um, you see it on Twitter a lot. Uh, actually, Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii has been doing a master class in how you change the subject. He'll start with, what I think about Roseanne Barr is that Americans deserve health care and just go straight back into um, Im important things that matter. It's kind of a, a, an extreme example, but people are starting to tune into the fact that, uh, as you've been saying since before all of this nightmare began with Trump, um, that the constant repetition, the constant focusing on Trump and really privileging his language and his words is having an effect and is helping him to win at a time when, by all means, he should be losing. So what are some of the ways we point out that Trump uses language, uh, ways that are so effective? Well, uh, let's take the obvious case, Crooked Hillary. What he does when he puts a descriptor onto a name is to frame that person. Hillary was uh, not only accused of being crooked, but convicted by the repetition of it in public uh, when she had done nothing wrong. I mean, this was simply, um, you know, uh, a way that Trump does this, uh, and he does it repeatedly. It's a technique uh, to attach uh, a descriptor to um, a name or to a word and then change that meaning. Uh, by repeating it over and over, like fake news, for example. Now, um, you could have a case where fake news would mean, means that every now and then there's a, some news that's fake, but that's not how he uses it. He uses it to say that news in general is fake. The fake news New York Times, for example, uh, does not say every now and then there is a, you know, a, a fake news. It says that the institution is about faking the news. So he's weaponized 
name calling and words in general language. Uh, most recently, he's gone with uh, Spygate to attempt to shift blame off of himself for the scandal that he's in the middle of. This follows on things like the witch hunt. Then there was the deep state, this made-up name for basically our intelligence apparatus and law enforcement, that the people who are trying to enforce our laws and keep us safe from foreign interference are somehow the problem, you know, was the, the, the mechanism he was trying to put into place there. Why are words so powerful? Well, first of all, um, when you have a single word for something, the assumption is that there's a thing that the word fits. You know, you get a new word for an object, uh, and you say, okay, what does it mean? What does it fit? Vaping. Well, what is that? Well, it's a thing. You know, and you say, well, you have to then learn what it is, and then it becomes real once there's a word for it. Uh, Spygate is a particularly important example where it was repeated by the press. And what it was attempting to do was shift blame. So the FBI is doing national security stuff on Russian interference in the campaign. They take the guy working for the FBI as being the spy, shifting the blame for this to the FBI from, um, you know, Carter Page and Papadopoulos. Now, this is um, something that is done with one word. And the one word suggests it's real. Now, as soon as the press starts using Spygate, the word is everywhere. It's everybody who wants to ask about this uses the word because the assumption is that when there's a word, there's a thing that fits the word. And um, if it, once it's out there, it's hard to cure. I mean, what do you do? Uh, you know, I thought maybe uh, you could uh, uh, bring out terms like Russian Spygate, but then, um, you know, could you actually get the reporters every time they hear Spygate to say, do you mean Russian Spygate? Now, uh, you could maybe get the press to do that, but unlikely. It's hard. It's hard to undo something like this so that once the press uses it, once the press accepts it, reports the actual word, it's out there, and you, you have to try to undo it. Undoing a, a framing is very hard. It seems to me what Trump is actually saying is that it was wrong and unfair for the FBI to be doing its job. Well, that's what he's saying, uh, except that, of course, that isn't getting out there. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, he's saying that, that what the job the FBI is doing is actually spying mm -hmm. uh, on him, on yeah. his campaign, rather than on the contact with Russia. Well, that illustrates, I think, an important part of, of what framing is, because I still think a lot of reporters especially don't get it. They have some other definition of what framing is, but it, I think it's similar in some ways to the way we use the word. When he frames something in this way, he forces everyone to operate within his narrative and within his reality, and they lend legitimacy to his narrative and his, his version of reality while he's simultaneously undermining theirs. And this can be curtailed, and we'll get to some some points we made for how the media can do a better job at this, but it cannot be dealt with unless the media is aware of it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're slowly becoming aware of it. I think it's taken a little too long because here we are in year two, and this was very accessible information that probably should have been uh, studied before. But to what degree do you think that the media chasing every accusation and uh, name and 
false thing Trump says is built into their business model? Well, uh, we had a certain uh, comedian uh, come out and say uh, the media says it hates Trump, but it really loves Trump because it makes money on him. You have the president of uh, CBS coming out saying it may be bad for the country to repeat Trump all the time, but sure is good for CBS's profits. Uh, that is, uh, Trump is a moneymaker for the media, and Trump knows this. So there may be some degree to which the business model of the press today is in conflict with its duty as a pillar of democracy. Very much so. Uh, that is extremely uh, important to think about. That is, uh, the people who uh, depend on ratings, and they all depend on ratings, everybody depends on ratings, uh, have to keep their ratings up. They check their ratings all the time. And uh, that is why uh, they have to do things. If they do something and the ratings go up, they try to do the same thing again. Yeah, a big part of the problem is that controversy equals clicks and clicks equals currency. And that uh, sadly has, for many media organizations, become the main goal. But I think that in light of the fact that that equation may also add up to less freedom and more authoritarianism and a very dangerous time for democracy, it may, may merit some reconsideration. If that is a part of the calculus here, we'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not. But let's go on to salient exemplars. This is another technique that Trump uses. Tell us about the salient exemplars. Well, uh, let me give you a little history on this. Uh, it's a term that comes out of uh, uh, cognitive science. Uh, Danny Kahneman, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, and uh, when he was working in our uh, group at Berkeley, uh, noted something important many years ago, almost a couple of decades ago. Uh, there was a prominent, um, well-publicized plane crash in, at, in Chicago where a DC-10 was taking off uh, in a windstorm, and it made a wrong turn in the windstorm and crashed. And uh, as a result, people stopped taking DC-10s. They would go and look up and see if there was a DC-10. They would change their, uh, their planes if there was a DC-10. And it turned out that the DC-10s were actually uh, the safest airplane around. So what happened was that the well-publicized crash led people to, to categorize uh, DC-10s as uh, unsafe. Uh, and the publicity around it uh, had the effect of uh, changing people's behavior and recategorizing uh, a safe plane as an unsafe plane. And what Danny Kahneman observed is that this is a general thing. It happens all the time when you have well-publicized uh, uh, events. Now, uh, what Trump does is make use of these. You know, So if there is um, a rape or murder by um, someone in a minority group, uh, he will call the people in that group uh, rapists and murderers or terrorists and so on. And uh, that what he'll do is take one public, pub, well-publicized event and turn it into a slur against the group and maybe even a policy that uh, unfairly treats that group. Uh, this is uh, part of what he does all the time. Uh, that is, uh, you know, what the, what the technique is. 
So one example just condemns the entire group. That's the basically a weaponized stereotype, I think, is a word we use in the... I think weaponized stereotype is a very good term for it. You take a stereotype and uh, you use it as a weapon against the group. He also is famous for discussing his use of something he calls in the art of the deal, truthful hyperbole. And so people who think, oh, Trump is stupid and not capable of strategy have to reckon at some point with the truthful hyperbole, which is that in in my view, an example of Trump breaking character to say, yes, there is technique here. Yes, there is a little bit of a deeper understanding of how all of this works. I have categorized how I lie and exaggerate. And not only that, but I come up with a name for it that Mm -hmm. illustrates the principle to some degree. So what is truthful hyperbole and how does it work? Well, think about uh, used car salesmen. <laughs> you know, you're you're trying to sell a car, and you say, you know, this was the best car made. Uh, you know, uh, last year it was absolutely great. Uh, it's a terrific car. You know, it may be a perfectly good car, uh, but the you know, and the truth may be that it's an okay car. But the idea is that people want to know that uh, what they're doing is really outstanding, that they're, do- they're doing something really great, not that they're, they're doing something okay. And uh, this is part of sales technique. Uh, Trump uh, understands this very well. He's been a great salesman for 50 years. And in the art of the deal, he just says, look, you know, that's the way we do it. That's the way we uh, get the deals made. You know, we want to sell something, we, uh, you know, say it's the absolute greatest thing. If we want to get rid of something, we say it's a disaster, uh, you know, the worst trade deal ever, uh, you know, the, and so on. Uh, he doesn't just say, well, there's some things wrong with NAFTA that ought to be fixed or something like that. He says, worst trade deal ever, uh, you know, Iran nuclear deal, worst deal we ever made in foreign policy, etc. Always the worst or terrific, wonderful, fantastic guy, and so on. This is um, straight salesmanship, uh, and um, he knows how to do it. In this op-ed, we try to propose a beginning list of four basic rules uh, reporters and editors could observe that would start to solve this problem. And the first of those is to understand how propaganda and language works on the brain. You want to say a little about that? Uh, well, I can, I can say a lot about it. Um, look, uh, when you're uh, uh, in journalism school, and I uh, have been often asked to give talks to uh, graduate students in journalism at Berkeley, uh, the first thing I do is I try to explain that words are not neutral, that uh, words come with frames that when you use words, you're saying something beyond just the word. You're, you're um, expressing a frame in which the word occurs. And you're saying something that, you know beyond that, and you need to be aware of it. And um, when I do this in journalism classes, uh, students get upset. They said, we're being taught uh, to say who, what, when, where, period, you know, uh, just get the facts out there. Uh, and, the, and of course, we assume the words are neutral. Uh, that they just fit the world. And I say they don't just fit the world. Words mean things beyond fitting the world. They have to do with how you understand the world. And when those words are repeated, those understandings get into people's brains and they change them. 
So you have to be very careful in these uses of words. And this is something journalists are not trained to do. Even at great journalism schools like UC Berkeley, which is a superb journalism school as, as they go, uh, they're not trained to uh, think about metaphors and how metaphors work. You know, they're not trained in the methods of propaganda uh, that when you um, repeat something, they say, they are trained to say, well, if you're interviewing a prominent public official, you have to report the language. You have to report what that official says. And the answer is no. That official may be lying. That official may be framing things to his advantage. When you report those words and say the same words over and over, you are helping that official. And that's not your job. Your job is to tell the truth. And this is something important. If the official is lying, you repeat the content of the lie, you're helping getting the lies out there. Repeatedly, you mean, right? Repeatedly. If you say them over and over, if you repeat the lies, if other journalists repeat the lies, one journalist repeats the lie, says the lie, the next journalist says the lie, the lie gets out there. And this is important because of repetition. Repetition is crucial. The way this works in the brain is every idea is uh, physical. It's in your brain circuitry. And when brain circuitry is activated, the synapses get stronger. As they get stronger, they're more and more likely to occur, more likely to be used, but uh, they can become permanent if they get strong enough. And enough repetition leads to changing things. Uh, you know, a lie repeated often enough becomes a truth. Rule number two on our list was, remember, democracy is under attack. The usual rules don't apply. This is a very, very, very big deal. We are at a time, as you said, democracy is under attack in all kinds of ways. You know, the Justice Department is under attack. The government is being changed completely uh, to fit um, you know, other interests uh, rather than the public interest. Uh, that is a crucial fact that every journalist, uh, everyone in the media must constantly be aware of. And there are usual rules like uh, the rule I mentioned. You're interviewing a public official. You're, you, you report on uh, the words they say. Uh, that is something you can't do when democracy is under attack and the, that official is lying. You can't just report the lie and promulgate the lie. Mm -hmm. Your job is to tell the truth because democracy demands the truth. Well, I think one distinction there is that you can report there was a lie. You don't have to repeat the lie, you know, ad nauseum, nonstop. And that's what tends to, tends to happen, I think. I'm a former journalist and have spent most of my career, though, as a as a communications director for elected officials. And I think there were a lot of things I did not know as a reporter that I learned as a communications director for elected officials. And it's amazing the degree to which I think reporters don't understand a lot of those dynamics, that when you create a phrase or when you um, talk about things, usually you're doing it in a very specific way to create a very specific narrative. And Good reporters will balance out your narrative with another narrative and make it clear to some degree that there's a battle between these narratives. But what seems to be happening with Trump is because he's so rapid fire and so good at creating all of these narratives and because it's such a show that gets a lot of clicks and a lot of eyeballs, 
that reporters have sort of fallen into complicity with Trump's propaganda tactics and techniques and have sort of lost track of the fact that they're that the press is a huge and important pillar of democracy and if they don't wake up and rise to this occasion uh, we may all wake up um, in a very changed world as a result of it and so that remembering that this is just not a another not another story or not just another boring day in the office or on twitter seems to be something that maybe to some degree is is missing well more than that uh i think beyond it uh when we talk about the cognitive science and neuroscience of this uh reporters may say well why 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 do i have to care about cognitive science and neuroscience and what it means to repeat things and so on uh you know why do, why does that matter and in this case there's a moral issue Democracy is not just anything. Democracy is crucial to the way we live. Democracy is a moral issue. And right now, uh, reporting is a moral issue. Reporting is not just a job. It is a job with a, with a moral meaning. Our third rule will be familiar to many of our listeners, which was stop letting Trump control the news cycle. And I think this really connects back to the work you've done on highlighting Trump's use of Twitter to control the news cycle. But he doesn't just need Twitter to do it. He can do it through policy. He can do it through statements. He can do it through pulling out of treaties or um, canceling appearances by football teams at the White House. There's a, a lot of things he can do as president to completely control the news cycle. And that's, part of that's normal. The president of the United States is always news. But when it becomes apparent that he is deliberately creating distractions in order to cover up bad stories and promote meaningless narratives that further d the division in American society, what can reporters do to arrest this negative cycle of the president controlling the free press? Well... Uh, the first part is protecting the truth. I mean, sometimes you can just ignore it. You can just say that's not a story. Or you can say what he's really trying to do in this case. Um, you know, there are cases where, uh, for example, he cancels the Philadelphia Eagles coming to the White House. Yeah, and then that becomes the story instead uh, of mm -hmm. important news, right? Exactly. That becomes the story. Uh, and uh, all sorts of things are like that. Um, there are even cases where he does something right, and every now and then he does something that's right. Uh, and uh, yesterday he um, uh, went along with uh, Kim Kardashian's saying that, oh, there's a, a woman who's been in jail for 21 years uh, of, on a first uh, minor drug offense. Uh, you know, in Alabama, uh, you know, and uh, this woman is really a nice woman. She's done everything right there. She's a mother and a grandmother. Uh, you know, the people at the prison say that uh, she's a model prisoner and a model person. Uh, can't you commute the sentence? And he commutes the sentence, uh, you know, Give and gives her a pardon. Now, what is he doing? He's saying that 
she has been mistreated by the law, and uh, he's, he, his pardons are uh, given by, by, uh, to remedy mistreatments by the law. Well, this is what he's setting up to do for pardoning all the people, uh, you know, uh, who uh, have been convicted uh, because they lied to the FBI. So you attack the FBI, you get the Justice Department to release a report criticizing Comey or the FBI, and then you can say, oh, uh, we can correct this by pardoning them. So even the good things he does, like pardoning someone who's unjustly imprisoned, is only to keep building his own narrative, right, that, that, that law enforcement is overzealous and bad. And um, so there's nothing really that Trump does that's not self-serving to a great degree. And he gets a nice photo op with Kim Kardashian. The fourth thing we put on our list was don't spread the lies. I think we've touched upon that in talking about these earlier points. But really, the adoption of every single new Trump narrative and word as the top headline and hashtag and the thing that everybody on Twitter who wants to be cool has to tweet about immediately and have a pithy retort to while completely buying into the frame is a big problem that it's it's almost a, a lie spreading machine especially if the lies are designed to be interesting unusual uh kind of eye catching mm-hmm. and trump is pretty good at designing these frames to be something that people can't help but fall into well uh i think it's important to to point out when the lie occurs that there's a lie and but not to spread the content of the lie And one of the things I've suggested in the past to reporters uh, is that when that happens, the first thing you do is ask what truth is being hidden by the lie. And report on that truth, point it out, point out the moral importance of this truth, the consequences of the truth, and what happens if, if that is lied about instead? What are the moral consequences uh, of, uh, of lying about this at all? Then you can, in a few words, say what the president said, say this is a lie, and then go back to what the truth is and the moral consequences of not accepting that truth. That can be done. And it can be done very effectively and responsibly for the press. In that, you have pointed out that there's been a lie. You've mentioned the content of the lie without spreading the lie. And you've mentioned it in a context that says, this is uh, a lie, here's the truth, Uh, here's the importance of the truth, and so on. When you've repeated the truth and repeated the importance of the truth, what you've done is undercut the lie. I think our good friend LOL GOP uh, had a really good metaphor for this. It's like spreading an infection around. You touch it and you go spread it everywhere you go because, and you get everybody sick with it, right? There's mm-hmm. no reason to do that. Once you view it, it, once you understand the power of language and words and labels and lies, mm-hmm. then I think it changes the responsibility of the press when dealing with those things. It's almost like they need to... Uh, some version of a hazmat suit to deal with these things. It should be dealt with carefully and not according to these usual rules that, hey, that was an interesting thing. That's going to be the headline. You know, everyone's going to talk about whatever the new weird phrase he is. You, you know, it's, it, it involves taking your responsibility to a, to a deeper level and understanding that the crisis we're in 
is something that the press has a major role in resolving. Well, I think that's all true. And uh, I don't want to uh, demean the press in any way. Uh, the reporters and uh, people in the media have um, uh, difficulties. They have pressures on them uh, put on by the fact that uh, they are owned by owners, that the owners are trying to make money. Uh, and, you know, uh, and so the question is how they do this. And if you're a reporter, you have deadlines every day. Uh, they may not have time to think through all this stuff. Uh, these are difficult times for the press. They're difficult times for newspapers. And uh, it's especially important that people in the press understand their responsibility at a time when democracy is under attack, that they are the, they're in the front lines here. You know, uh, this is important. They have to be doing this job for our country and for the future of our country. And it's a hard job under great pressure. Uh, I think it's important that they know that we know this, that we, we respect their jobs. We respect what, what they do. And what we're trying to do is make sure that uh, they have uh, the understanding they need. When we talk about what Trump's language is like and how he uses it, we're saying to the people in the press, here is a weapon for you, a counter weapon. Here is a way to defend yourself. Here is a way to watch out when you see it. Here is a way to avoid um, you know, being uh, compromised. That's what we're about. And uh, we want to express our admiration for those reporters who are doing their job under great difficulties. But this is too good to not be better. 